The following program is being brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The Sharon Kleiner Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. What you hear in the next hour could very well save your life. Now, here's your host, Sharon Kleiner. I want to invite you to listen to the Sharon Kleiner Hour, Power of Water and Your Health, and Earth's human mission to be able to, as all of us can join together on this planet Earth and learn together and further our education and research together because each person is, uh, is included. Every single life from the moment you were born and you left that mother's pocket of water and you entered in the air you breathe, the baby wasn't probably crying because, oh, my gosh, I've just been slapped on the derriere, the bottom. I am out. I feel cold. I feel like I have no wetness. I am something's wrong here. I have no water around me. The baby opened its eyes and thought, oh my gosh, from there on, I'm hearing through my eyes. Did you think that maybe the baby thought because it can't speak, it can cry, it listens so closely through the eyes. But the nature of our lives is the water. And earth must have the water. And then we must, as human life on this earth, Take care of that mission for all to be healthy and discovering more about what causes the dehydration from birth all the way to our passing. So the water is critical. And as you've been learning through it with our show, we have 2.5 billion people in the world who do not have access to sanitation. And, And we have over a billion people who have no access to water. Did you know that in India, India has over 200 people, pardon me, 200 million people who do not have access to water. They have 1.1 billion population. Can you imagine no sanitation? And they're having 130 and 135 degree weather right now too. So let's think about what we, we can do with this show. Each week, join the show as if you're learning going into a classroom. Here in the United States of America, we just had the worst disaster to water in the history of the planet. Our responsibility as a society here in the United States with the Gulf oil spill became one of the worst decision-making, proactive decisions, no proactiveness. The states were crying. Louisiana, Alabama, Florida are all saying with tears, This is the state we live in. We love our state. This is where we want to live. This is where we want to be healthy. This is our economy. This is our nature. This is our choices. We put our tax money out and our hard-earned money every day to work here, to live here, to thrive here. We want our generations to be here. And then all of a sudden, there is no proactiveness 
given available to them to be able to prevent the oil spill to affect their society, their culture. Can you imagine their wetlands that belong to the earth and what happened to the tragedy? And all I could say when I was watching it with my 30 years of study in water and earth and whatever I can learn, and can you learn enough? No. The earth is changing every moment of the day. That's what's called climate change. It will. And it's a living organism. It will. But can you imagine what I was thinking at the beginning of that spell? Well, I know that those states will do everything they have to do to prevent the wetlands to be affected. The states were not allowed to. Stop and think what you can do personally in this classroom for us to be more proactive with this show. Let's think about the world and what is happening out there with decision makers that cost society and culture generations to come. That are, it's not, they have to be proactive with water. If they can't be proactive with a lot of other thinking, but the water is the life of the earth. It's the organism of life of everything. Water is life. Those wetlands are being affected. The most serious part of all of this is the proactiveness not allowed to put berms up to protect those wetlands. Those wetlands are vital. We must listen to the experts around the world that come in and teach us how to, to maybe slow this down. It's, it's not too late. We've got to start now. So whatever we all can do, and I like the idea of what they've been influencing, new inventors, new ideas, new universe, uh, universities and people out there in the world who are the greatest inventors on the earth. They don't have to even be sitting in a laboratory to invent. Did you see on television recently with some of the reports where countries of the world have used hay? They bring the hay in and they lay it on top of the oil and they pick it up off the water and it picks up the oil. There were so many different things to learn. I just want to have tears today for all of us. I want to have the tears and the prayers for Louisiana, Alabama, Florida, and all the people, their respiratory systems, their children, their, their wildlife that they cared so much about, the ocean waters, the jobs. So let's get a prayer book out for them because they already said weeks ago what they wanted to do. But now let's join in and give them every bit of educational information to the world to hear what we've got to learn with a tragedy and then not let this happen again. Let's, we've already known that the United States has a health, uh, water crisis. We're talking about India and China and all the countries of the world. The United States just caused one of the worst water crises I have ever seen, and we need to take the education serious. Today we have a real exciting show. I was really excited about um, Dr. Bruce Lipton. Uh, he's from California, and he's author and speaker of a very interesting topic, the bi- biology and of belief and the, uh, the peace. He got a peace award. Now let him tell you what that is. But that is going to be interesting. We're going to learn a little bit more about our brain, and I think we need to learn as much as we can every day. We can never learn enough. Our second uh, um, guest is going to be Andrew Lawler from Michigan senior writer with Science Magazine and freelance writer for Smithsonian National Geographic. That's going to be a lot of fun, too. We will learn a lot about wetland restoration in Iraq and and around the world. I will now turn this over to our sponsor. Our sponsor is Biologic Aqua Research Center. 
and it is the founder of Nature's Tears Eye Mist. When your eyes are dry, they've never had a nutrition ever in the history of your planet. Now that when your eyelid is open, you can pick up this device and hold, and with just a mist, mist the eyes to give it the nutrition it must maintain at the surface of the eye, 99% water. Well, if your skin is dry and your body gets dry, you must maintain the eyes, too. So listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist, and we'll be right back with Dr. Lipton. Listen. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. You're listening to the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. That's SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Dr. Lipton, hello. Hi, Sharon. This is Bruce here. Thank you for joining us today. I was really excited. I read your background and what you've been doing, and uh, I think our audience, and I call this a classroom, uh, we know uh, it's called the power of water and your health, and and your background uh, fits just perfectly because the brain is about 80% water, and our influences of our organism, of our body, are those cells and the molecules trying to give us our energy. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself first, and then we'll go into what you're going to teach us today. Well, uh, basically, my research uh, was on cloning human stem cells and cloning uh, 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 these cells, and yet I was doing that back in 1967. Mm-hmm. So while well, a lot of people think stem cells are something that just recently came into our awareness, uh, uh, I had the, uh, uh, the opportunity to work with them over 40 years ago. Wow. And, and the significance about it was at the same time I was teaching medical school, uh, students, the basic science about how cells work, and and teaching at that time the concept called genetic determinism, the belief that genes control our traits and our emotions and our behaviors, etc. And it was interesting because while I was teaching that in a classroom, I was doing research on these stem cells, and uh, I could describe the experiment because it's like it, it, it's so stunning. It was it was just beautiful. What I did was. I would isolate one single cell, stem cell, and put it into a tissue culture dish by itself. Mm-hmm. And, and it divides every 10 or 12 hours. So after 
about two weeks, I have thousands of cells in the Petri dish. But what's mm. very unique is that all of these cells are genetically identical because they came from the same parent. And then what I did was split the population up into three different Petri dishes and change the environment in each dish ever slightly by changing the composition of the environment, which to the cells is called the culture medium. But mm -hmm. if we look at ourselves as cells, our world, the air, the water, uh, the food, and everything in our environment is the equivalent of the culture medium to the cell. So it's right. the environment. Right. I changed. I have cells in three different environments, and in one dish the cells form muscle, and in another dish they form bone, and in the third dish they form fat cells. And then mm. you just—I was like stunned because there I am teaching the class from genes. You know, you're going to laugh. Um, you're, you know, I—I've been in research for over 30 years, and I find I was saying to—we uh, have had a Nobel Prize winner on here, and he—I was telling him what what happens to his. When he thinks he's discovered something that may be something unusually different, then you can't go find the comparables. And I told him, uh, doctor, that my knees would shake, and then I'd have to get my knees to stop shaking. I don't know why it's my knees. But anyway, and I said to him, what do you do? And he said, well, he goes to study, and he's from Switzerland, this little place next to Interlock. And what do you do when you think you've discovered something, but yet... You've got to keep moving with common sense. You can't let any emotions get involved. And that's what I've meant when my knees shake. All of a sudden, uh, doctor, I think, oh, my gosh, I've got to stay open-minded, keep on the <laughs> eco-middle, and don't get influenced by excitement. What do you do when you think you found something and you want to keep on that? Well, it was, fun. it was fun because basically what the experiment revealed was that the fate of the cells is a complement to the environment. So that yeah. biological organisms, uh, the genetics and expression of cells is a reflection of the environment. Well, there I was in a world where everything is controlled by genes, and it's like, if yeah, I yeah, you were. No, the genes <laughs> didn't do this at all. And uh, uh, you're standing there being controlled. Well, the, the, the problem was, of course, all my colleagues. Uh, I tried to, I you know, get so excited by this. Yeah. My colleagues <laughs> look at me, and go, well, that that oh my there's God, an exception look at this, or, look at or this. something. <laughs> you know, that didn't count really, and it's like. What do you mean it doesn't count? <laughs> uh, I know it, and I've done it with myself through the years, and uh, especially if there's no comparable. <laughs> uh, but back to uh, what you've just said. Now I'm going to do something here. Uh, you're you're a very which which you said here this today. First of all, let's start out with the word, and and let's pretend like nobody in your class. I don't care who they are. I don't care the most genius person in the world. How do you describe to our world audience how a cell works? Like, uh, how is a cell working in our body, and how many do we have? Let's start out by taking okay. them on a little path before yes. we take them to where you're going to end up. Absolutely. Uh, for, first thing, we'll clear up a misperception about our, our perception of ourselves. When we look in the mirror, we see a, like a single human individual, so we say that's a single organism, uh, a human being. And then I say, well, that's actually a misperception, because the truth is a human is made out of about 50 trillion cells. Yes, And yes. the cells are the living entity. 50 trillion. <laughs> 50 trillion sentient living cells. And I say that because... Like little orbits all by themselves in you. Well, it's even, clo it's even more exciting, because here's an interesting fact that every function that's in your human body, like you go through the biology of a human body, respiratory, digestive, excretory, cardiac, every one of these systems, 
And then I have to tell you, very interestingly enough, almost every cell in your body has every one of those systems in it. Every cell is the equivalent of a miniature human. And okay. it lives in a world with other miniature humans, and they cooperate together. I'm glad together. you just used that for an example, because uh, that is what everybody listening has to realize, how unique they are, each oh, yeah. person. They are the life form. We, we, we think we're the life form, and the fact is, no, no, that was the issue. We are a community. Uh, it's the cells that make us up. That we, uh, we are a community. So if you could look under your skin, you, there are 50 trillion individual cells working as a community. Every cell has a job. Every cell actually gets paid. There's a currency, a chemical currency called ATP. Every cell gets health care. Every cell gets protection. Uh, it's basically, my God, uh, the, the, the beautiful that's, part. You just said something, doctor, yes. and I'm, well, we'll, we'll go on, but that's why drinking water is vital. Oh, cells live in fluid. And if you don't, are if you're, life yes, was created in water. Exactly. The only way life got on the land was the ability to take the water with it. Exactly. <laughs> thank you, thank you. And, you know, uh, I use this uh, description to try to help the common sense of us all. I don't care who we are. Is the moment you were born, you entered in the air, you breathed from water, and no wonder the baby cried. It was a shock. Oh, it's a transformation for sure. Oh, my from gosh. It's one like a world into I come another from. world. Exactly. And then the baby begins to dehydrate. And, Doctor, that's where my world comes, the word dehydration, getting back to our vocabulary and research. The dehydration of all that we're walking around, living in our daily lives, and from that moment on, there are no two eyes alike, no skins and the complexion alike, fingerprints and more. You just tapped in on why. Stem cells were vital to study. The genes are vital to study. Everything about that environment and that petri dish is vital to uh, uh, not to diseases of the future for everyone to understand from birth. What you've got to do to raise that baby, understand that baby, test that baby for their own particular dehydration. What, what is happening? Well, as you said, basically, if you don't understand the nature of the environment and you don't create a supportive environment, and, and this is what the cells revealed, mm-hmm. that the fate or health or you know, the vitality of a cell is a direct complement to the environment. When an environment is optimal, then the system lives in health. When the environment is not optimal, then the system will manifest illness and disease. And we used to, uh, we still do, unfortunately, I just said the word used to. No, we still do in the conventional world of medicine, look at a person and if they have something we call a dis-ease, you know, something's not working right, we always have a tendency to say, oh, there's something wrong with the body. And it turns out the body, there's nothing wrong with 95% of our bodies on this planet. When we have a a, a disease or a health issue, it's not anything inherently wrong in the body. It's inherently wrong in the environment. And, and you know, I'm going to stop you, know, you for a second. You yes. just said something that I've been studying for 30 years. Exactly. I started studying water yes. and dehydration 30 years ago because I was concerned. I had been formerly president of the American Cancer Society, chairman of a medical group concerning cancer. I just, when we would have a patient come that we would, I would learn about, and one patient was very seriously terminally ill, and the other patient was not as bad as the one that was very serious. Why is it the one that was so serious 
lived for much longer and maybe got rid, went into remission where the other one the other one couldn't do it. I, I decided I wanted to learn the stress that happens on the environment outside that body. Uh, it's interesting because this is where we have to then bring in that there's an, an inside uh, stress generated by looking at the outside. So yeah. there's an outside Thank stress. Thank you. And then there's yes. an inside stress. And it's, now we're going to have to, darn, I'm going to listen to my sponsor. We're going to listen to our sponsor for a moment. Yeah. And we're going to come back and we're going to have you teach us about that biology belief and then your peace award. Uh, you be, uh, don't go anywhere. We're, I'm, this is one of my favorite shows. I want to thank you for all your, what you've done here and your past. Thank you. We're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature Tears Eye Mist, the natural method of giving a nutrition uh, quenching to your eyes that need it as much as you need to drink your water. We're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature Tears Eye Mist. We'll be right back with Dr. Lipton. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to talk. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to Sharon Kleina Hour at Yahoo.com. That's Sharon Kleina Hour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Dr. Lipton, when we took our moment there with our sponsor, you were telling teaching us something that is so important for people to understand that how you live your life and where you're coming from within your own life, within yourself there, with uh, your, let's call it your cells of life, are so important to you, everything about your health. Surprisingly and amazingly so, because as conventional science, we always look at health as, or disease as a breakdown of a, the physical structure so that the individual and their perceptions and beliefs and attitudes were never really considered in the understanding of a disease entity. And yet it's interesting because science has always recognized the nature of something called the placebo effect, which is where um, uh, a a positive thought of that this drug that the doctor is going to give you is going to heal you. And then you take the drug, you get healed, and find out it was just a sugar pill. Uh, Or or have you heard of people having a strong prayer with, with individuals helping them with a prayer, and then all of a sudden... Yes. They find themselves with that strength. It can lead to a spontaneous remission from a a terminal illness because... Now, isn't that a fascinating one, audience? Stop and think about your mind. Okay, here we go. (laughs) You know, let's let's go back. You know what? The simplicity of of understanding this is that 
as I said, cells are like miniature people. They have you just you, said you the can imagine them Let's just like little miniature <laughs> cell, and you live with fifty trillion other cells in a community. Exactly. And and uh, and just like humans, uh, cells have a skin, and on their skin there are receptors, and like an our our skin, we have eyes and ears and nose and taste and touch and all these things that we read the environment. And so uh, the cells are like miniature people. They have receptors. They read their environment. And what happens is, what, this is the new biology, because the old biology was genes make all the decisions. And it turns out genes make no decisions. Genes are blueprints. Uh, and they're literally, phys- figuratively, really blueprints. And I just want to emphasize that for a moment, because... We always talk about genes like turning on and turning off. Well, you know, is that the cop out? Excuse me. You know how we're all, we are all, all, yes, we're human. But when something doesn't go the way we think or something goes, uh, uh, something that's uncomfortable, we want to blame it on something? Yeah. (laughs) We don't want to blame it on ourselves. We've been programmed to be irresponsible because the kind okay. of medicine that yeah. we've been teaching is yeah. when something happens to you, you were a victim of something, yeah. and, and so you didn't participate. In other words, in this we don't process, take any responsibility for this. <laughs> and so, but what people should also know is this, and this is so critical because this is the one that's not talked about. Yes, most of your audience, is, I understand the placebo effect of, of thinking that I could heal myself with either a prayer or a pill or whatever it is, and I really believe it will then heal me. And the answer is yes, that really works. As a matter of fact, one third of all healing in the medical world, one third is always due to the placebo effect and not to the medical treatment. And, well, everyone, let me, this is the most important point in regard to the placebo effect, and that is this. The placebo effect is the result of a positive thinking on the body, and what people don't talk about is something called the nocebo effect. And the nocebo effect is what happens when you have a negative thought. And the answer is it's exactly the same as the placebo, but in the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. A negative thought can uh, actually cause a cancer, a negative thought can actually cause death, and, and we don't talk about it, uh, and yet we talk about the placebo effect, and it's like, it's not the positive, the, uh, the, the power of the positive thinking, it's the power of thinking that now, whether it's positive or negative, something. they both have an effect, but in Dr. opposite Lipton, direction. Dr. Lipton, you just tapped on something that maybe would be a fascination just to bring up for a moment, we'll go quickly. You know the word martial arts that they teach with um, karate and all those martial arts uh, that people can take, and they started it way back in time in a uh, different country, a country. And because the, the, their rulers took away their weapons, so they knew that the leader, the the leaders of their country that were trying to control them, uh, took away the weapons and controlled them. But they learned to use their mind. The brain became the particular individual weapon to deal with survival. And Absolutely. you just said to me, uh, I know that's what I was thinking about, and I use that uh, every once in a while with people that say, I can't, I can't. I say, wait a minute, you can. <laughs> uh, the Interesting, the simplest quote, and it's so fun because it's so simple and powerful, is a quote by Henry Ford of the Ford Motor Company, and he said, whether you believe you can or whether you believe you can't, you're right. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> and, and basically, and this is where the power of belief comes in. And, uh-huh. and, and where it comes in in biology is very simply this: as I said, cells like miniature people respond to the environment, and they're uh, and so yeah. what the cells do is read the environmental situation, and then adjust their genes 
so that their their biological structure will survive in that environment so that the genes aren't making the, the decision. The, the cell has a nervous system like we do, reads the environment and adjusts the genetics. So the, the significance about our, our lives is, well, we're a community of cells. In fact, uh, we're like a skin-covered Petri dish. Inside our skin dish are 50 trillion cells, and I said the culture okay, medium, the Okay, let's back up and say that again in our classroom. Yes. That your research is showing, proving that each individual person, life on this earth, is an individual Petri dish to be researched, and don't take it for granted that you are unique. Well, no, you are unique is the most important thing in this right, whole world. Right, right. Uh, and and yet, uh, where, where the Petri dish uh, comes into the story is if I take a plastic Petri dish with cells and put it into a bad environment, contaminate the water in the, in the Petri dish, the, the cells will get sick and they'll start to die. And then if I, if I was like using conventional medicine, I would look at my cells in this dish and they're sick and I'd say, what drugs should I give them? And then it turns out, that, uh, here's the answer, it's like, you don't give them any drugs. You just change the environment, bring the environment back, and the health will return right away. Yeah. So the interesting in our world, we contaminate our world, we get sick, and then we want to fix the body when the fact was, no, it was, the body is a reflection of what you just did to the environment. Right. And so it's the, the lessons that we're supposed to be learning we, are not how to audience, fix the body, but how to fix the environment. Through, doctor, all this, you know, you watch the world out there and the lessons we're learning in our lives and, and, and the excitement of those lessons. People should look at, they seem so negative, but there's an excitement in the history books to come with all that we're needing to learn with what you just said today. When you have something happening in your life, learn to look at it, what you can do personally to achieve a positive way to solve your obstacles. If each person on the Earth would look at themselves as a member of the team of the Earth planet in the solar system and be serious, get out of bed, put their feet on the floor every day, even if you live under the bridge, anywhere you're at, and decide, I'm going to be this person today and I want to learn to be healthier. I want to make a better life for myself. If I make a better life and I'm healthier and I learn and I educate and I want to go out and bring the team together and learn as much as I can, I could make a better planet for eternity. For eternity, doctor. And, you know, I had somebody on a, as a guest one time and I mentioned something about something in eternity and he said, the scientist said, I don't know, Sharon, if we're going to have an eternity. <laughs> because we were talking water. Well, and, uh, uh, you know, the team <laughs> will come together. The world will understand that there are those of us who really care about, I call it Earth Human Mission. And, uh, but tell us today about your Peace Award. I want to hear about that. Well, the Peace Award was basically coming to an awareness of how we've been all programmed on this planet to perceive ourselves as victims of forces outside of our control. Mm -hmm. And what the new biology that's written in the biology belief reveals how powerful we are in controlling not just our own genetics and our own diseases and health issues, we control all that, but we also influence everything on the outside of us as well. So we are creating not just an internal reality, but we are also participants in creating the external reality. And, and when you understand the mechanism of this, then your issue you just talked about, about can I get out of this old rut? 
and buy into, you know, uh, get, get my power back to create something totally different than what's going on? The answer is absolutely. So uh, the uh, Japanese uh, organization, which is equivalent of the uh, Japanese version of a Nobel Peace Prize, saw the new science as a most important step in bringing an evolution to the planet where people stop being uh, playing the role of victim of a world and start understanding their true nature as creators of a world. And when oh we my gosh, you just, won, you just won my whole reason of having this show, Doctor. <laughs> you know, well, when I decided to have a radio talk show, it's been over three years ago, and I mentioned to, I was going to have power, power water. Water? Yeah. Water? <laughs> Well, there, that's your basic environment. And well, Dr. Lipman, if you, one day we will meet, if you ever want to meet somebody who has this outlook on what you just described, is that there's a footprint. And the footprints of life on all world, I don't care who you are, where you're coming from, what it is, I look at the leaf on the tree. That's life. You look at the bark on the tree. That's life. You look at the weather change. Life has changed. That's life. You look at everything and you understand, oh, you hear the sounds. Uh, you watch the water flow and grow and, and the messages that come from there's something there. Earth was chosen to have water, Doctor. So as we look at the, uh, what you just described is that outlook on our footprints together as a planet, as people living together. Well, Sharon, this is very exciting for me because I've been holding back because I really am excited about this. Uh, I have a book that just came out in September. My first book, Biology of Belief, reveals personally how your personal beliefs affect your personal biology and your personal sphere of influence. Uh, but what I recognize in writing this, of course, is there are beliefs that are shared by an entire culture or an entire civilization mm-hmm. as compared to beliefs that we share, uh, we have personally and individually. Mm-hmm. And what does it mean? It says, well, if an individual creates their own particular little world with their own beliefs, what happens when an entire population shares a set of beliefs? The answer is we create a world that manifests exactly those beliefs. And, and, and so what the book is talking about, and the book is called Spontaneous Evolution, Our Positive Future and a Way to Get There from Here. Mm-hmm. And this book is very critical because what it says is right now we are in the thrust of an evolutionary jump. And, mm-hmm. it, it's, a, and it's an upheaval. And, and, the, and the reason why this is happening right now is this. All the crises that are happening, well, we look at them as individual crises, crisis in health care, crisis in peak fuel, crisis in environment. They're all to be solved. They they're can all, all the same out. crisis. Obstacles to be solved. And, and what's happening is... Uh, the, there's an evolution process, and we're mm-hmm. and humanity, and this is the part that will excite you because what the understanding is is this: uh, humans were created by cells coming together in community and creating a human biology. We look at the human now as a single entity, but the human is actually a community. And then here's what the evolution that's happening right now: we're not evolving as individual humans, biology, body, mind, and all that. That's already evolved. What's evolving is humans are assembling into the next higher community, which is called humanity. Every human being is a cell in the same body called humanity. Well, and, you know, I am so sorry. We're out of time. Oh, my God. And we're going to have to do – would you do this again with us? Would you come I, I to this would, classroom would love again? To because uh, your story is on, and I would love to contribute to your story because – 
There's an evolutionary upheaval. The chaos that you see should be welcomed. It's welcome for this reason. You cannot build a sustainable world on the belief systems that have created the world that we live in today. There that we go. The falling apart that scares people is in reality a most important step. I want to tell the audience, I hope you'll come on, and then yeah. also go to www.brucelipton.com and get look at his books. And Dr. Lipton, we've got to do this again. I think the, our audience and all of us want to hear this. And there's so much to learn. We can never learn enough. And the footprints that you're talking about are vital to all the planet. I want I to thank you for joining us. Sharon. And you have a very special day. And thank you for your, what you've been doing to get us to where we're at today. Thank you so much. You have a nice day. Bye. Bye. Well, we're going to go to our next guest, Dr. And I mean, pardon me. I'm sorry. I'm just so wound up with Dr. Lipton. We're going to go to our special guest is Andrew Lauer. He's a senior writer with Science Magazine and freelance writer with the, for the Smithsonian National Geographic. This is going to be a very exciting show. So stay tuned. Do not leave your, this radio show. There's a lot to learn today. We're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears I Missed. The only method of giving your eyes the thirst quenching. Eyes, the surface of the eye is 99% water in the aqueous layer, which is at the surface. I know you're dry. You need a nutrition. You need thirst quenching. Nature's tears eye mist with just a mist. We'll listen to our sponsor, and we'll be right back. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to listen and talk. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. Listen. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. That's SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Andrew, I want to thank you for coming and joining us on our show. Hi, Sharon. How are you? Thanks for I having me. I am fine. And I want you to know as we start, I am so, I have been very much, I have studied uh, what is happening to the wetlands within, not as much as you, but uh, my concerns for 30 years of what's happening to the planet and water and the human health crisis and more. And going into Iraq and around the world and studying over in Florida, um, and now we're learning more about Louisiana and more about wetlands. 
And before we go into our classroom, I want to hear about your background and who you are, and then we'll go to the classroom and teach us what you've been learning. Great. Well, uh, my name is Andrew Lawler, and I've uh, been a writer for Science Magazine for uh, 15 or so years. Science is the, the world's largest scientific journal, and I write for the news section. So to do that, uh, I travel around. I've written a good deal on in the environment as well as on archaeology. And those two pieces came together uh, in some stories I've done about the marshes in Iraq, uh, mm-hmm. which are located in the southern part of the country. So that's uh, it's been a longstanding uh, piece of interest for me because, of course, that's the area where humans first built cities. It's where civilization really first began, where the Garden of Eden, uh, according to you know, mythology, Andrew, uh, actually started. Andrew, let's stop for a second with the audience in the class. Here, um, you just said something that is so important to me with my research and others to learn. You just said over in, in Iraq, the wetlands and how important, and you had some descriptions of the Garden of Eden and people began to live and Homo sapiens began to have a life, human life. But Saddam Hussein, when he got upset with them, took away the wetlands and now they're coming back. Can you describe uh, a little bit about what you will go in and out real quick? We won't spend much time on it. But what happened when he went in and wanted to take away the wetlands, the tragedy of that origination of life? Well, actually, uh, you can blame the British, uh, because back in the 1950s, the British proposed uh, digging a series of canals through the wetlands of southern southern Iraq uh, in order to increase agriculture. And so what Saddam Hussein did in the 1990s really was building on what the British had already done. Already a significant portion of the wetlands had been destroyed in the push for uh, more agriculture as the population increased. And Saddam Hussein simply expanded that. He built more canals, and he did drain particularly the central marsh, which is the largest of these of the three major marshes in southern Iraq, which I should add are important flyways for all kinds of species of birds, uh, they're very rich in uh, many kinds of species of. Oh, fish. many many humans didn't have any more water, and they died. That's correct, and it's been a you know, very tragic situation. That was in the uh, '90s. That wasn't a hundred years ago. <laughs> no, it was it was the '90s, but it, this really began the tragedy. Okay. It began in the '50s, and in the '90s, okay. it, it speeded up. And uh, now, uh, in 2003, uh, which is the, uh, I visited Iraq in May of 2003, just as mm-hmm. the uh, the invasion was uh, beginning or ending, however you want to describe it, and uh, went down to the area south of uh, Nazaria, which is a large city in southern Iraq, mm-hmm. and visited some of the marshes. And and there were there was still uh, a, a culture there of marsh Arabs, but it is so much uh, smaller and so much more impoverished than it was. Uh, prior to the draining of the marshes, uh, which began really in the 50s, but then in earnest in the 1990s. Under now, what is happening today with those wetlands? Because I had touched on some reading that they're bringing them back. Well, yes, and there, there is some, there, there's, there's good news and bad news. Uh, the, the good news is, is that when the Americans came in in 2003, they uh, allowed the, the locals to tear down some of the, the dikes that were holding back the water in order to flood the area. I mean, think of the Everglades, the way the Everglades have been starved of water. Uh, the situation in Iraq was so much more dramatic than the Everglades. So they were able to release some water into, into the marshes, and in around 2003, 4, 5, there was a lot of uh, optimism that the marshes would come back. And in fact, some areas of the marshes have come back quite well. 
other areas, however, were so damaged that the original environment simply could not replicate itself. Mm-hmm. Today, the situation is a, is a little more uh, complicated because uh, a lot of people want water, and we're talking not just in Iraq, but in Turkey. Remember, the headwaters of the Tigris and Euphrates are far away in a distant country, uh, the country of Turkey, and they are uh, very thirsty for water there. So a series of dams have been built uh, which are restricting the, uh, the amount of water flowing down from the mountains of Turkey down into the Tigris and Euphrates, which are primarily what feed the wetlands in the south. Again, think of the Mississippi and the way that the Gulf uh, wetlands are fed by the Mississippi Delta. Uh, now, maybe you can help us with this class. Um, when, when we describe a, the description of wetland, could you describe to our audience in this class what the word wetland means, uh, even though we know when we're looking at the ground and we see the water sitting there and there's some different kinds of uh, <coughs> grasses and, right. and uh, all, uh, you know, it's uh, got a different look and it's uh, called, a, we know that's kind of like a swamp water. Yeah, Would you more tell than us just, the definition of a wetland? We're talking about more swamp here. In fact, I mean, this is an area that has been more altered by humans than any other landscape on Earth. I mean, people have been living here and building cities here for 5,000 years. So it, it was never a pristine, perfect environment of marsh. Yeah, you're talking uh, Iraq. Marsh. Yes, I'm talking okay. in the, in the, okay. the wetlands of southern how Iraq. How old is the culture of Iraq? Do you remember? How old is it? Yeah, how old? Well, the, first, uh, the very, very first human cities were built there around 3,000 B.C., so okay, we're talking we 5,000 years. Okay. And the, so the wetlands there are not like you might imagine uh, in the United States, these kind of wild areas with alligators and what have you. They have been, uh, they've been developed by, by humans in order to produce all kinds of uh, foods. Whether, so you'll have small canals running through the marshes. Uh, you have small hummocks that have been built up over time by humans who then live on them, little farmsteads on these little islands that are basically built of reeds. And people fish. Uh, you can do some agriculture and you can grow things. Uh, there's all kinds of uh, natural products that come from the reeds. Most famously, the you know the reed houses of the Marsh Arabs are, are quite famous uh, for their for their beauty and durability. Now, to kind so, of paint a picture, were you able to tap in and understand way back, let's say three thousand years ago, coming forward, did they always have a desert sand? Did they always, did they always have, have a desert? Was it always a desert? No. No, the area actually of, of southern Iraq was uh, say five thousand. If you put yourself five thousand years back into southern Iraq, uh, it was, uh, there was desert to the north, but the, the marshes were much larger then. And in fact, there's some evidence that the very, uh, one of the earliest cities, the city of Uruk, uh, was actually a kind of Venice, that it was built in the marshes and My consisted gosh. of lots of hummocks that were covered with buildings, and people then dug canals which drained the marshes enough so that people had more dry land, and they built on mm-hmm. that. So you had people traveling in boats, you had people trading things, uh, fish, pottery, and the first city actually arose in this environment. But over time, uh, because of changes in the river system uh, and because of a, the drying climate during that period, it did dry out some. So then Let me it, ask it you something, and I know you're, you know, I'm, and we won't go where you're, you know, where you don't, I, I'm, I believe that you could give me some evaluations of what you've tapped into your studies. When you were studying, did you tap into the fact that along the way when the waters began to be changed by human life, changing the waters, and the waters began to uh, diminish down into the aquifers and they lost a lot of the, uh, what, the foc- what, what the planet Earth's nature was on the focus, 
the weather began to change because you don't have enough water on the surface. The, uh, the relationship of our climate has so much to do with the water, fresh water that's on the surface. Did you ever tap on to, into any of that? Well, yes. I mean, it, it, in, when it comes to uh, when it comes to that that period, uh, at least the you know, it's clear that the drying of the climate and the way people were altering the environment to uh, dig canals, which drain the marshes. Back then, it was on such a small scale right. that people were able to do it in a way that didn't didn't uh, cause massive the massive destruction that we've seen in the past thirty years mm-hmm. with the marshes today. I mean, the the mm-hmm. technology that we have today, we can dig enormous canals that stretch the length of Iraq uh, in order to drain the water. It's it, we're working with technologies which make it. Uh, so much more possible both to increase agricultural output, say, but also to uh, really destroy uh, what is a very fragile ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of people don't understand uh, the, what the word eco really means, Andrew. And in the case of Iraq, I think it's important to remember that you know the humans and nature there worked very, very closely together for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. And producing a, a remarkably intact culture, what the Marsh Arabs are, are an amazing, uh, amazing indigenous people who yeah. have been able to survive and prosper in, uh, in in an area that most of us would uh, wouldn't do too well in. And they were able to maintain that ecosystem for a long time until outside forces uh, made it impossible because of the digging of the canals and the the changes that were wrought without their advice and without their consent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, would you, I hope, I, I don't want to go anywhere where you're not comfortable to go, so in this class, but I'm going to ask you what your, what your evaluations are with what's happening with the oil spill, with the, with the wetlands over in Louisiana now. Well, it's, any, you know, it's an interesting it? uh, analogy. I'm not going to get you to, uh, yeah. you know, I want you to be comfortable, but what is your thinking with what you've been learning? Well, you know, I, I would like to, to draw the analogy between the Iraqi wetlands and what's happening on the Gulf. I mean, if you could imagine what's happening on the Gulf, if you imagine the thousands and thousands of acres of wetlands in Louisiana, into Alabama, and even down, uh, down to Florida, if oh, you could Florida imagine them, 90% of those drying up, then you have a picture of what's happened in Iraq. You have a picture of the, the environmental catastrophe that has confronted the people who live there. And, in fact, uh, just in the past couple of days, there's been an outcry in Iraq uh, among the Marsh Arabs because there are now plans for serious oil development in that area. And, of course, there's great concern that the small percentage of land left that is still marsh uh, could be destroyed by you know, the kind of disaster that we've seen in the Gulf. So the, the, kinds of, uh, the kinds of dangers facing areas, marshy areas that we have in our own country, uh, around Louisiana, as well as Iraq, are actually quite similar. Uh, oil development, uh, large, uh, large agricultural systems. I mean, these are the things, uh, the need for water in cities, the diversion of water upstream. Uh, these are the things that are really affecting the marshes. Andrew, you know, I started States, setting water in and around the world about 30 years ago, because I became alarmed that we hadn't been studying the body and its water. And the, the, uh, Dr. Lipnon, our guest before you, was really exciting. I'll say, you'll be getting this uh, CD to listen, but each cell in your body is a life of its own. You are made up of 50 trillion cells, so therefore what your life is is you and those cells. And your the outside environment has a lot of influence on your cells. Outside, a lot, uh, everything, 
and of course drinking a lot of water. Can you imagine what we're learning from you today and your knowledge? Don't ever quit, Andrew. You keep up the work because the world has got to listen. We're the orbit. We're the earth that has the water. And for some reason, it's vital to all eternity. If you weren't doing what you're doing and others hopefully like you and myself and Dr. Lipton and more people, I've had no end of people on this show. I had the founder of Life in the Molecule, by the way, a Nobel Prize winner. But back to the whole thing, Andrew, what you're teaching us. Uh, I'd like to have you on again because there's so much for the audience in the classroom I call this to learn. We've got to take it serious because we have generations to come. There's a world to come. But the world must live together. And there's an ecosystem, like you said. It's an eco-plan. We cannot rock that eco-plan. But it all stems in the water. It all is the, is the planet in the water. But we've only, we're out of time. And I um, wanted to ask you, what would you like to leave uh, our audience to learn? Uh, we're going to send them to www.sciencemagazine.org. But how would you like to leave us today with what you've been learning and what you're planning on learning more about? Well, as people watch what's happening in the Gulf and see the, the impact on sensitive ecosystems like the marshes of Louisiana, remember this is not just a national problem. This is a global issue. And places right. like Iraq, uh, global... we have a responsibility uh, as humans to ensure that these areas are not destroyed and that there is some diversity left, both of the, the uh, species living there as well as the, the people and the cultures oh, that right. survive. Yes. yes. Well, thank you. Keep up the work. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I appreciate what you're doing, uh, and I know everybody listening does too, and I hope to have you on again if, if you can give us some more time. Absolutely, Sharon. Thank you. You have a nice day. Bye-bye. Bye. I, always, I do this through my show for it's so long. I go, wow, and um, I get excited, and I find myself, what did you learn from Dr. Lipton today about yourself and those 50 trillion cells? That's you. Be kind to other people because they've got their living cells. And you expect people to be respectful to you and show integrity to you. That will take you courage and wisdom, but you'll have it. Andrew Lauer today taught us about those wetlands and the water on the earth and around the world and how it is all influencing the whole planet. The whole planet is influenced by decisions that we all make. And remember, it has nothing to do with the politics. It's us as a team. It's us as family living together. Earth does have a secret, doesn't it? Embrace your life every precious moment. Earth is whispering. Never say goodbye. Leave your footprint. Leave that footprint. It is special to everyone for the future. I want to thank you for listening and be well. Thank you for listening. Join us next week for another edition of the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Remember to visit Sharon's website at SharonKleinaHour.com.